I had Tim here and before the podcast I have a quick note due to rights reasons the songs have been shortened for this podcast every song is taken from Deacon Blues When the World Knows Your Name all tracks are written by Ricky Ross with James Prime co-writing Queen of the New Year this change in lights Fergus sings the blues and the world is lit by lightning you and Vernal also wrote Orphans it was released on the 6th of April 1989 on Columbia Records enjoy Tim's listening party was a lockdown sensation Unfortunately, it was on Twitter, which you can't listen to. But Absolute Radio has the solution. Tim Burgess explores seminal albums alongside the artists who brought them to life. Absolute Radio presents Tim's Listening Party with Tim Burgess. Hi, it's Tim's Listening Party on Absolute Radio. I'm Tim Burgess and welcome to another episode of this show in which I sit down with the band, going through a classic album and hearing the stories behind it. So far, this series, I've had listening parties with Simple Minds, Tears of Fears and Catatonia. To catch up on any of these episodes, just search for Tim's Listening Party wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, it's not a listening party if you don't get involved on Twitter. So, tweet me throughout the show using the hashtag Tim's Listening Party. And check out at Tim underscore Burgess and at Absolute Radio for more listening party content. This episode, I'm joined by one of Scotland's most loved musical exports. Since their acclaimed debut album, Raintown, released 35 years ago, Deacon Blue have achieved multiple top five albums with three going platinum and many top 40 singles. Their second album, When the World Knows Your Name, was number one album in the UK, going double platinum and containing the band's first top 10 hit and four subsequent singles, reaching the top 30. It's Ricky Ross and Lorraine McIntosh. Lovely to see you. Thanks it's lovely to be. It's a beautiful day, isn't it? It's a beautiful day. So I was taking photographs this morning of like the like the sun was like a star shape, oh. and uh, and um, the Olympic Stadium looked like it could have been in Los Angeles. It was I mad. Wow. It's like a real haze. I, know, I think we all need a bit of sunshine after the summer, been, though, don't we? Yeah. I know because the summer. T- for me, started in spring, really. Yes, and then it stopped. That's what happens. I know, and then now it's kind of like everyone's going back to school, and, <laughs> and, and that's right. I know. Yeah. So, um, well, we're here today to talk about when the world knows your name. Mm-hmm. Um, but before that, I wanted to go a little bit further back uh, to the beginning, and um, I wanted to know whether Deacon Blue came from a Steely Dan song. Yeah, well, it did really. It was one of these funny ones because everyone that joined the band, I. So put the band together originally with with Doogie Drummer, and then what year was this? This, Sorry, this was eighty six originally, okay, okay. and it felt like a long time to kind of you know get it. I, I'd been in a band, left a band, yeah. wanted to put one band together, and so when I did it, I just gave it a name, yeah. and everyone that joined from then on after, I said, well, "This is what it's called," <laughs> yeah. and then everyone said the same thing. Oh, I hate that name. <laughs> so yeah, like, I don't think any of us ever liked no, it. No, wow. but it was. <laughs> But everyone actually, oddly enough, everyone did love that song. And uh, as it happened, um, I would say, and I think Jim and Ewan are the only two people I know, maybe do could play it as well, were the only two people who could play that. So I could certainly never play on the piano, well. but they could. And so everyone li- liked it. And I, oddly enough, mm-hmm. I was never I was never lived in London. We're talking about living in London. You better name the song. It's a song Deacon called? Blues. Deacon <laughs> yeah. Blues from Asia, yes. Are you a fan of the rain? Yes, I yeah, am. Good, good. I was a fan <laughs> because... My big brother used to be the only person in our house that would come in with albums and I would have to because I was desperate to hear music and the only way of hearing it was from the radio except when my brother came home from uni with albums and he came home with this album Asia. I believe it was a yellow vinyl copy. Oh, it might have been, yeah, by that time, yeah. And uh, (laughs) I kind of, some of them I didn't love on that album but I did like that song, Yeah. yeah. And anyway, I was I was going along the Tottenham Court Road one day. I would come down Some to melodic, do so. to do sort of raids on 
you know, I had a beginnings of a publishing deal and I would yeah. come down and do meetings and stuff like that. And I was going along the Tottenham Road Court Road and imagined the fly poster saying Deacon Black. I thought, oh, that looks good. And then yeah. that was it. Just decided and told everyone that was the name of the band. And how do you feel about the name now? I, I think it's great, now, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's kind of like your dad's name. You might not like it, but you just kind of have to accept that it's your dad's name. So that's the band's name. And I suppose we're, you know... It's been it's meant a lot to us now for a long time. Yeah, it's yeah, quite yeah, nice in absolutely. some ways having a band name. Because, well, you'll know this because yeah. you can sort of refer to it as oh, that's a Deacon Blue thing. Like that's yeah. that's the work that we go to. That's yeah. not me. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, our yeah. job. You know, it's quite yeah. nice. Yeah. Um, and then you, you yourself in, in other ways. So yeah. yes, it's quite nice sort of being able to sort of put it a little bit remotely. Yeah, our name came about. I mean, the Charlatans. Uh, was there before I joined the band. Oh, and, was it? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, they had a different singer and a, he played guitar as well and uh, he left and they brought in, like, me and, a, and John Baker, our, our original guitarist, and um, they wanted to get rid of the name and I was just like... Really? I was just like, <laughs> it, you can't, it's, like, the best name, you know, I thought it was... Yeah, a, I think it was a good thing. It was a good name, it was a good name and, you know, everything else mm-hmm. that came in after that, you know, alternate suggestions were just like <laughs> just like very unmemorable but uh, but uh, yeah so I'm, I think it's funny what a name is isn't it but I think you know you grow into your name don't you mm-hmm. I think yeah you do and you think of the Beatles I mean you think yeah. of all the band names of all the bad ev- names of all the bad names ever were <laughs> yeah. the best band in yeah. the world yeah and everyone loves it. Yeah. We didn't expect it to be around. I mean, that's a funny thing. Is I don't think we expected to be here. Certainly not in 2023. Because we split, split up in 94. Right. Uh, for the first time. And, and all, I think all of us just thought that's it, you know. Because when you start a band... When you're young, three years seems like a long time. And, yeah, that's abs- that's really true. And you know, a year. You know, it, you realise it takes a year to maybe write songs, and then another year to get an album out. Yeah. And I remember being just up the road there, we were making a first record and a Japanese, for some reason, I don't know why, but a Japanese TV crew came in and interviewed us. I don't know why that wow, would happen. And, and, they, and they were all the record people were sitting around and said, how long do you expect the band to go on? <laughs> and I said, well, three albums and that'll be it. You know? yeah, and it, yeah. it was really about that. Yeah. And, and it felt, that felt like a long time. I mean, it was nine months before our first single, but after six months, I was thinking, this, this is not going anywhere. It's just not happening. Yeah. It's like six months is like the longest time when you're in a band. You know, you just, you know, we haven't got any gigs, we haven't got anything. You know, it's like, I know. Well, we, that's the same with us. And I think that, you know, when I put the band together in 86, I sort of thought, I gave up my job as a teacher uh, before that. And I thought, yeah. oh, I'm going to give it a year, you know, give it a, a year or something like that to, to, to get it together. Um, and in, in, this is in 85. And by 86, we had a record deal. And I was thinking, looking back on that, seems like really short now because yeah, yeah, I interview yeah, yeah. a lot of country artists yeah. and they talk about Nashville being a 10 year town which it is right. very often they're there for 10 years before they actually get a record out and I thought the first year was that lasted forever but you know we were young yeah, <laughs> yeah probably not, younger yeah probably not a lot was happening that first year to anyone else you know yeah. but to you you were doing it all and when things start happening then things start speeding up don't they and before you know it you're a long way down the road and then you look back and you've been together for 32 years or something. Well, you don't look any different, so <laughs> there, there you go. That's... He, he, can, he can stay. <laughs> he can stay. Um, so, you know, about listening parties and stuff, and they're a big thing on Twitter for... Yeah. You know, I love for... We haven't said this on, on record, but yes. we applaud you. One oh. of the best nights of our lockdown was doing that. Oh, well, I, I don't you. believe in the honour system, but if there's a proper honour system, you should get some sort of bauble for this. Oh, honestly, Ricky, thank you no, so much. But, but, but you should have a music award or something. A music yeah. award. really should. It was a brilliant, brilliant thing to do. 
honestly, what a brilliant night we had. Yeah, it's lovely. I remember it was a, it was a winter time, wasn't it? Because I, I remember that. it was a Friday night. Yes. And I remember when it was over, just suddenly lockdown still being out there and it was dark yeah. and we thought god that was a lovely hour to spend with people from all around the world yeah all people who love your music just and just amazing like, yeah lots of people in the you know the listening party community just listen to to everything as well That's so brilliant. it's like you know people just getting turned on to you know, and to i love stuff. that idea about people lifting the the needle and saying <laughs> right this is when we start i love the whole theater oh. of it all. Oh, yeah, yeah. brilliant but anyway t- today this is the radio Yep. I'm getting in my broadcast chops here. You know, <laughs> uh, but uh, we're going to talk about Queen of the New Year, the first track on When the World Knows Your Name. I mean, the whole album is like full of singles. <laughs> it was. And the reason it was full of singles was because Rain The first had one had none. We were, <laughs> <laughs> it was, like nine, was it like nine singles on the first, two, first it was, two albums? There was actually, there was, there was, I think five or six came out. I'll have to remember them now. Yeah. But I think six came out, maybe. And... There could have been more. It was actually, there was, was another track we'll come to that there was going to be one. Sure. But what actually happened was when <laughs> Raintown was being, and this is the absolute truth, uh, I remember John Kelly, our producer from Raintown, yeah. and someone brought out the word singles, and literally none of us had given it any thought. And I remember thinking, <laughs> oh, and, and John Kelly, is kind of matter of fact, he said, well, you know, do you have any songs on this that 12 to 14 year old girls like? Because that's who buys singles. This is like 1987 or uh-huh. whenever. And I went, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> and there was, I mean, it was, a, it was right. a real struggle to, you know, to get a single. We, we, we just about scraped a, a kind of hit. Uh-huh. Not, in fact, big enough to get on top of the pops. With, with Dignity, yeah. it, got on to, it just into the third, I think, top, top 40. 40 wow. when, wow. Wow. when we met with Telephone Running, did the same thing. Anyway, we had a bit of radio play, yeah. but we didn't have any real hit singles. And I just thought, you know what? Let's make the next record have singles and Queen of the New Year was the thing that Jim who obviously is a keyboard player Jim's a musical genius uh-huh. and he had this old semi-acoustic guitar that he used to worry his dog with he used to chase it around the living room playing things <laughs> doing Chuck Berry things and he came in one day with his guitar riff you know and I said oh, that's brilliant let's yeah, do that yeah, yeah. Let's, let's do something completely that we haven't done before and, and make it you know, kind of fun. So it was, it was, it wasn't the first track we demoed or played live. In fact, we couldn't play it live because it was yeah. all. For a while, we got kind of a bit antsy about how do we play it live. Right. But it was, it was always going to open the album. Wow, wow, wow. Well, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's such a inviting song, you know. And, it, and, yeah, and it ended up being last, the last single. The last which, single, yeah. And which, it's up, yeah. and it's fun, which. You know, I don't think Raintown you would ever call a fun album. Right. You know, it was lots of things and, and yeah. a very important album yeah. to lots of people, but it wasn't fun. Yes. <laughs> and I think there was a bit of fun about this album, certainly about that song. There was a a joy as well. Oddly enough, we've just done this acoustic album and, yeah. and, and there's songs from right across the catalogue. Uh-huh. And the one song from When the World Is Your Name is Queen of the New Year. And right. it's lovely, it's like reinvented. Oh, Jim's, yeah, Jim's got a lovely it. little electric piano kind of yeah. riff on it. Yeah. And we just kind of busk it. And uh, yeah, so it's come out on his box set. Yeah, that's one of my favourites actually yeah. on the box set. So it started off as like a Chuck Berry kind of... Hoedown. Hoedown. Mm-hmm. Yes. Turned into something that you couldn't really play mm-hmm. live. Yeah, because Warren Livesey, who produced the album, yeah. loved working. And at the time, everyone was working with, you know, striping tape and everything was synced up. Sure, sure, sure. The sure, computer sure. was running, yeah, all that yeah, kind yeah. of thing. And everyone was... Part, and, the, and the, I think there was maybe a pulse running through it. And, oh, how do you play that live? How do you play that? And then eventually we did... Ex- this always happens with Deacon Blue. You start off doing something in the studio. Oh, how are we going to play that live? Yeah. 
Just play it. Just play it. <laughs> just play and it's it. come full circle now on the acoustic album. Yeah, but that's what, it it's getting, is, that's what it's getting to. Yeah, it's yeah. back to the essence of really what yeah. the song is. Yeah. And I, I think it's the best version of yeah. it. So a it. song can keep growing. Which Absolutely. Is, yeah, I love that. Love it. And yeah. it's... Uh, and it focuses more on the vocals when you do it acoustically. Yeah. And we've got a brilliant friend and guitarist, Gregor, who's been with us now for years and years, but he's also a great singer and a yeah. great backing singer. So it's lovely to be able to use his voice on it as well. That's fantastic. Well, let's hear track one from When the World Knows Your Name, Queen of the New Year. That was Deacon Blue with Queen of the New Year, the first track from When the World Knows Your Name. We're going to follow the fifth single with the second single? Yes. And the second track, Wages Day. Mm. It's an odd one because I remember basically Lorraine and I stayed in a little flat along the road from where we recorded a lot initially of When the World Knows Your Name. We recorded in a studio called Savar. We used that a lot. Right. It's a big, big room. In fact, uh, Warren Lovesy didn't like it because it, it was... Where, where was this again? This is in Glasgow. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the West End of Glasgow. Okay, West End, yeah. And now quite near the, the kind of trendy bit, the Finiston, where all the restaurants are, actually. Nice. All there, but it wasn't trendy then. No, and it's no longer a studio. <laughs> yeah, it's no longer right. a studio now, which is a shame. But it had a what, what called a gymnasium downstairs, yeah. and it was almost an uncontrollable room to live. Yeah. And although they always thought it could be, and, and Warren never loved it. Well, we did record a couple of things early on. Then we went back and did like what we thought were some B-sides, because you'll remember this... Yeah. <laughs> the late 80s and 90s, you were sad to do so many B-sides. Oh my God. Like, so much recording yeah. has to be done. Maybe four or five editions of singles. Like, yeah. and I remember at one point it was like a set, it was a CD, there was a 10-inch. Yeah. And you had to stuff them full of other tracks. Yeah, yeah. So we were going off to do some B-sides. And I'd written this song. I had a little electric piano in the house, a tiny flat that we had along the road. And I'd written this track, one of these ones you write in five minutes. Uh, wages day and I said oh I've got this new thing and I think it's going to be a B-side and then basically and, and no one else really picked up on it but I think when we we did it we, we cut it as a B-side and I remember thinking is there anything as good as this it was going to be a B-side. Yeah, this is all yeah. news to me. <laughs> Pretty smart, though, because kind of, when you record something like that with that in mind, it's, this, it's, so, yeah. it's so relaxed, isn't it? You yeah, know, as well. the pressure's off. Yeah, pressure's yeah. off. It's just a three-chord song and blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But actually, if someone asked me my favourite song or someone asked me to play something, you know, yeah. if I had to sit down at the piano and play, yeah. I would always play that song first because wow. it's like the most and simple. And you honestly... Can you do it. that every day? No, you can't. It's no. just sometimes you've got to accept songs as a gift. Yeah. And we just yeah. sang at our daughter's wedding. Yeah. So I think that was alcohol had been taken. And yeah, you, and, you, <laughs> and you perhaps yes. You want to explain we, that we, one? We said, look, if we're going to do a song at a wedding, we'll, we'll, we're not doing any of ours. So we did a Neil Young song, "Long May You Run." And we thought, right, we'll get up. And Gregor was at the wedding and we yeah. got up and sang it. But I had too much to drink. <laughs> so the minute we finished that one, I said, do we need to do another one? And, and Ricky was like, what? And I said, wages day. So we did wages day. But we often do that in that kind yes. of more, a more sort of country version yeah. of it. Again, more... Yeah. Acoustic vocals, acoustic guitar, and I love doing songs like that. Yeah, so I'm always it's essentially it's a country song. I think, if you take it apart, but there was a, there was a between the flat and the 
and the studio, there was also a place that was, there was nowhere. Now it's so funny because it's full of trendy restaurants yeah. and really kind of up skate up market eateries. But there was this place called McCluskey's. It was <laughs> it was a newsagent really. So hammers and yeah. rolls <laughs> and rolls, you know. And we used to go around and get rolls and sausages, the great Glasgow delicacy. And one day I was going around to get some. It was a Friday night, and there was a guy. And he was just outside it, and he was lighting a cigar. But it wasn't mm-hmm. a posh cigar; it was just like a like, Hamlet, you know. Hamlet, Hamlet, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I thought, why is, he, why is he doing that? And it's because it's Friday night, and I just thought, because it still was. Even this is like 1988, I guess, yeah. when the, the song was written. And I still think there was that thing of Friday night was wages. Yeah, night, yeah, 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 yeah. And it was just yeah. a little celebration in the air. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's good. Yeah, it's great. And you've got a box set coming out. Is that right? Yes, we've got a box set of. Everything. Of everything. Like so, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm presuming that this is this is going to be on there. Yeah. yeah, well, the whole, every album's on Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Oh, and then, um, like, new acoustic versions? The acoustic maybe? versions, yes. Not of Wages of Queen of the New Year. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, Chocolate Girl from the first album. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and... Uh, couple of covers. A couple of cover yeah. versions. Yeah, so basically just us sitting around playing some songs. Fantastic, <laughs> fantastic. Okay, this is the second track from When the World Knows Your Name. It's Wages Day. So, another single, track three. Yes. Um, and I was walking here today and thinking, you know, it's up there with one of the most recognisable intros of all time. And I thought, you know, I wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> well, I, is this real going? Kids? Yeah, yeah. Thank God, I was. I don't know what track three. Oh, is. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Okay, so track three, real gone kid. Real yeah. gone kid. Yeah. I think it, it's certainly live. It's great fun doing that sort yeah. of uh, intro and and. People just get it, it's you such know, a good right song. away. It's you know, it's, it's, we, we used to, I don't know if this happened, probably lots of bands, you had one album out and uh-huh. then you started writing something for your second album yeah. and you started doing them live. So we would do Circus Lights, I think we did a lot, and Real One Kid, we would play when we, yeah. you know, we'd run out of songs. Right. And when we sort of, towards the end of the Rain Town, maybe the third or fourth tour we would do in Raintown, we'd be playing Real Gone Kid live. Right. And <laughs> we used to open with it. Wow. That was the opening song. Wow, we used to wow. open open the show with it very often. And Peter, our manager, said, I kind of like it because it looks like Graham's kind of tuning his guitar, but he's kind of playing this kind of thing on the guitar. Da, na, 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 na. You know, it's like yeah, that yeah, little thing. Yeah. And, then, and then, of course, Jim's riff comes in. But I, like everyone else that's ever had a hit you always resent it you always go no no we're bigger than that you know we're much more important than our hit record blah blah and then I came to a point about I would say 15 years ago uh-huh. when I really thought you know what it's actually just great because it brings people joy yeah, yeah, yeah and as soon as you go into the song and when people now ask me what my favourite song of Deacon Blue is I always say Real Gone Kid because I yeah. know that in the course of a show, for example, yeah. it's what people come for, and you've wow. got to, you've got, you can do creative things in the show. You can do lots of creative things, but you've also got to give people what they oh, come yeah. for. They've paid yeah. their money, you yeah. know, and and that is great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I resented a little bit. The only one I know 
uh, by the charlatans. Not resented it, but just kind of like, you know, thought, there's more. There's more yeah. to yeah, you, there's more. yeah. And then when we had uh, One to Another and North Country Boy, I felt a bit more relaxed about it. And, and now it's, you know, it doesn't... It did miss a few shows in the, in, in the, in the middle of our oh, time together. Because, yeah. Because, uh, you know, it felt like um, another band something. was doing it. Yeah. <laughs> it felt yeah. like we were doing a cover or something yeah. like that. I know. But, uh, the tribute crew, band. The crew yeah. used to hate it, because in the mid-90s, I did, we did drop it. Not, right. not, not, not play Real Gone Kid. Well, or Dignity. Wow, wow, yeah. wow. Wow. And, the, and the crew guys would say to me, is he coming tonight? <laughs> <laughs> and, I was, and I would look at them and go, well, maybe, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Because they knew that it was a better gig when yeah. I happened, you know? I mean, there are some, when you do really big gigs, there are some people that are only coming for a couple of songs. Of course. You know, and yeah. you kind of... You, it, it's a delicate balance, isn't it? A difficult balance, because you don't want to just play to the, to the masses and keep them happy. But at the same time... People are spending their hard-earned yeah, cash yeah, to come and see. When I go and see bands I love, yeah. I want to hear the songs yeah. that I fell in love with. Yeah. So, And if they don't play them, I'm so disappointed. So I think we've learned our lesson on that one. And I think you're really creative at writing set lists. You know, Ricky will play, I think, a third of our set lists when we go out are relatively new songs. Yeah. But people don't come away feeling that they've been to a gig of new songs because it's all interwoven yeah. very cleverly with be before they've even had the time to realise oh I don't know that song you're playing one they do know so yeah, yeah, it, yeah. I think you're really so good, good at balance. that occasionally it goes completely appreciated <laughs> <laughs> so, so does everything but I mean uh, um, that's the risk you take were you, were you saying that Real Gone Kid was like the opener to the set before you'd recorded it yes yeah wow. we, did, we, we played these songs live we got to a point where we didn't we didn't demo songs. I always felt that a lot of the creative ideas happened in the demo. Yeah. And it kind of meant that you were trying to chase that demo when yeah, you were recording yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an unusual feeling, isn't it? And mm -hmm. uh, Graham said a great thing. <laughs> he was got a really, he was doing a really bad mood. Graham was a late <laughs> guitarist. He was very funny. But I remember us, we were in the studio, we were demoing Real Gone Kid, and, and he came up with this, the acoustic guitar riff, which was like, and it's just like the, and it's just against the beat. And I said, oh, that's brilliant. He said, yeah, well, it's the only thing there's any room for. Because <laughs> 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 Jim had played so many sort of keyboard things on it. And I thought, yeah, but you found that little place, which is a really great hook. And yes, we, we did the demo and we played it live. And I guess it probably, more of it, more of the final recorded version was probably came from, I think when we went in the studio, we just played what we played at gigs, you know? Yeah. But it became a big deal, remember, that redoing vocals oh. and... Bob Clearmount and oh, we went to bit. New York to re-vocal it and it we had became... a guy, We had a, an air guy said, oh, you need to re-vocal it and you need to change... There's a guy called David Kahn. He's quite a famous producer, yeah. McCartney and all these kind of people. And he worked for, for CBS Records and Sony Records at the time. And he flew over from LA to work in the same studio with Savard that we'd been working in to re-vocal. Uh -huh. And he had me there till about two in the morning re-vocaling the song. And I re-vocaled, re-vocaled about two and a half, and eventually he still was And I just, I thought, I'm too tired, I'm going home. Right. And it, it never got finished. And then we'd worked with Bob Clearman by this point, who'd remixed Dignity. And yeah. um, So um, Bob Clearman's in, I mean, is he LA? Is he kind of... He is now. Yeah. He, at that time he was working out in New York, and when we worked right. with him, he came over to London, he did a lot yeah. of stuff in London. In fact, he was working in here when we were working in here. I think he was doing Brian Adams and stuff like right, that. Right, because um, I, I was thinking, did he work with a cult then? Uh, but I mean, uh, Springsteen, 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 right. Springsteen yeah. that's what, yeah, 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 yeah. And anyway, it was decided that he would remix it, yeah. and I would go over to New York for a weekend, and we'd... <laughs> This is the stupid 80s. <laughs> no, it's great. Um, stupid 80s. I would go over. Yeah. So I went over on a, something like a Friday night. Yeah. And the Saturday morning, I went into the studio with Bob, 
And I said, oh, you know, there's all this stuff about redoing the vocals. Yeah. And he went, oh, do you want to just, because I knew him by this point. He said, oh, uh, do you want to just sing it again anyway? Yeah. Sung it a couple of times. Yeah. He mixed it by about 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. We had the 12-inch single, 7-inch single, went home. And it was brilliant. And that was it. That yeah. was Did anyone it. ever tell you what was wrong with the first vocal? No, I don't know. No. Probably out of tune. It's, <laughs> it's a funny thing, isn't it? Like um, you know, with vocals, because I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I've really overthought them. Uh, I've, I've done them without thinking at all, and they've yeah. been they've been well imperfect, but perfect for Thank the good. actual representation of the song. It's such a fine line of knowing when it's. I'm very lazy. I mean, I yeah, I would that's, be lazy. that's actually quite good. I think. Well, I think it's because you don't actually think of yourself as a singer. Yeah, I don't. You I, don't, yeah, yeah. and never have. You think of yourself as a songwriter, and no one else was singing your songs. Yeah. So, so you had to sing them. Yeah. And the fact, and you say, oh, your voice is, oh, listen, oh, here it's rough, or it's hoarse, or it's whatever. That's what people love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Horse, you know? Horse, horse, That's the identity. Yeah, I mean, lazy. I mean, to me, I, I just think, well... Dylan sounds lazy. Yeah. <laughs> but he probably, he might not Dylan be. Dylan has not but, uh, got a, a brilliant voice, but we yeah. love his I'm voice. I'm so used to now writing things at a home studio, yeah. and I'll, I'll, the first vocal I'll put down will yeah. be the, the one that's yeah. the lyric, the finished wow. lyric. And I've, I'll end up thinking, God, that demo's... T- I mean, I, I, that's, the, that's the one that stayed, you know? Mm. But it's good for me to have a producer. It's always good to have someone to go, no, you can do one more take. Yeah, of course, so I, of course. I, I actually... But Bob came out and sort of saved the day, really. But, um, yeah. Wow. It, it's kind of what it is. <laughs> wow. wow. I think I'm pretty sure I went to a Bob Clearmountain party in Santa Monica and John Fogarty played. Wow. That's good. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Listen, we're meant to have the interesting stories here, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> That was an amazing story. That was a, that was a riff then because, you know, that we get, is a, no, I'm John joking. Fogarty. <laughs> that is cool. Let's play that classic. This is Real Gone Kid. Real Gone Kid, the third song from When the World Knows Your Name. Ricky, Lorraine, track four. Oh, another single. <laughs> another single. I mean, who is making these choices? Decisions. That, I don't decisions. Know. Well, I did, I did make a decision. I thought, we're going to have singles. Yeah. And, and yes, before you wrote the album. Yeah, yeah but yeah. even before, and, and certainly when we were recording, I thought, you know what, we're not going to do what happened in Rain Time. We're going to go and then we're going to have some because singles. Because we couldn't get it played on the radio. Yeah, that was the whole yeah, point. Sure. People were coming along and loving the live gigs, yeah, but yeah. no one was playing it. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, we, I, so we we did make that conscious decision. Funnily enough, this was the one that I thought, oh, this will be great. Love and regret. I think this is the one that I thought would be bigger than it was, and and I think this is the one that didn't get much play and didn't do as well. See, I didn't think it was a single. Yeah, it was, and it was kind of yeah. lovely. Kind of had a lovely autumnal theme. Remember the, the, the leaves and all that kind yeah, of. Yeah, lovely yeah. artwork. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's a great song. There's yeah, a good story yeah, about this actually. Song. I loved it. It was it. It was debuted on the. You remember the Saturday morning? They used to have kids shows. What was Saturday Live? Yeah, or whatever yeah. it was, and they had the video panel. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and they showed it on the video panel, and it was a guy from neighbors, that you ended up working yeah, with. Neighbors. The guy uh, that, Paul Robinson from oh, Neighbors. Oh yeah. yeah, I remember he him. Was yeah. On yeah. One of the panel. Yeah. And it was brilliant because and he basically, was a Deacon Blue basically <laughs> we'd gone off to America for the first time, and we were in the West Coast, and we filmed the video just going up and down Highway Highway One and. In the, and the beaches in California. Yeah, yeah. And anyway, so he was on this video panel and he goes, Yeah, and I really love it. I mean, and the guys and the beautiful Scottish scenery. <laughs> California. California. <laughs> but that was this kind of moment of glory and then it died. Am oh. I imagining this? Or was Margaret Thatcher? On that panel, she was definitely on the panel, but was it our single? No, she I don't think so. I don't know. Because remember, she, she was had on a one, good beat. That was something else. Or was yeah, it someone yeah, else? Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, but it was kind of mad. They used to, anyone that was a guest was <laughs> reviewing the single. Yeah. <laughs> so I we just that. took that as a compliment. They, they liked the California scenery to be Scotland. Was it? Was it uh, the Noel Edmonds show? Was it? It was, but after no, it was after that. It was, was it when it was Sarah Green? And Sarah oh Green. yeah, Sarah Green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Mike Smith. Yeah. Oh yeah, I remember seeing them in Chiswick actually. Whoever it would be, at least. Time good old, good and you old, had to stop prepare yourself for these kind of shows because you would be performing Ooh. in some you know bizarre situation yeah. at a theme park or something like well, that. I yeah. remember we all watched as you went down to do the first <laughs> kids' TV show on your own, and we were all like, Oh, Ricky's going to be on Saturday morning. <laughs> the, the Wide Awake Club, the Wide Awake <laughs> Club oh, yeah, with Timmy yeah, Mallet, yeah, probably before your time. I do remember, actually. you remember it. I do. He was, he was child. probably a viewer <laughs> watching it. I was watching it. Well, you'd have seen Ricky Ross, who thought, you know, he was this angsty, intense singer songwriter. And there he was in the Wide Awake Club making a boat. Yeah, banana boat. A banana yeah, yeah, yeah. with Timmy Mallet yeah, showing yeah, you how it was yeah, done. And we yeah. thought, this is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> wow. God. Yeah, because there were so few. T- I mean, it's probably like today in some ways, but there were few TV slots, and so you did all. So it was children's TV. Yeah, you know, of course. No, it, it, it was. It was amazing. I yeah, mean, eventually got the Wogan Show, which yeah. was probably that we were on the most times. Yeah, I mean, the eighties were, 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 were prime for kids' TV. Yeah. Um, you know, band, bands, eighties bands were yeah. prime for t- know, kids' was, TV shows. I, I was really jealous. Like, by the nineties, it kind of stopped a little yeah. bit. <laughs> But anyway, Love and Regret, what was it about? What was the theme, really? I mean, obviously, I it was, it, does it say it on the tin? <laughs> <laughs> All I remember about it is musically was it started off in one key and ended up in another. It was a bit low. Right. And uh, I think we kind of moved it up to E from the D. Um, and it just had that kind of kind of nice little pulse, yeah, pulse, yeah, pulse yeah, yeah. through it. And there's a harmonica moment in it as well. Right. There's, a, there's a there's a little kind of harmonica solo, and we had a big argument about a guitar solo because Warren loves he wanted a big guitar solo, and I said, oh, I'm not sure I should have big. I don't I really love guitar solos. Right. And I said, oh no, I was crying out for a big guitar solo, and I went okay. <laughs> but as long as that has the harmonica behind it, it's all right. So there was a bit of a kind of payoff. Is the process of writing, you know, the same every time you do it? For me, it's changed over the years. Yeah. But I think probably then it was sit down, and the more I've grown to talk to other songwriters, it's not unusual that you sit down and you say something, yeah. you, you can comment on this, and you think, oh, wait a minute, what was that I just said? So yeah. you, you have it now, nowadays, you have it on your phone, and you go, oh, wait, what was that? Yeah. And how do I make sense of that? You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And I suppose I love the idea of love and regret. I love the idea of a kind of relationship that was, that was longed for, but was also kind of tragic in some kind of way yeah of course uh, and um, it was kind of people that I'd come across at that point that a story that someone I'd come across at that point that I kind of thought it reminded me of yeah it's not always the first person that you write these things in of course of course I mean I have 
many things that contribute to a song. You know, it's like people always say, what's it about? And it's like, well, um, yeah. <laughs> this bit is about <laughs> that. Yeah. And this is about that. And yeah. this. I, had, I actually had a Twitter argument with someone. <laughs> I've never blocked someone before, but this kind of academic sort of, oh, I found it really funny that you said, do what I should have did in, in, in Real Gone Kennedy, as if I, I couldn't speak English. I'm saying, do you understand the concept that maybe it's a character that's, that's, that's singing this? Yeah, you know, yeah, you're yeah. actually speaking in a way that... I wouldn't speak and, and, and so on, you know. Anyway, he just got kind of abusive. <laughs> and he's gone. Yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. So he should be. <laughs> um, let's play that next song on When the World Knows Your Name, Love and Regret. Those sailors come back and spend time ashore. Their thoughts are hoarded. It's yours. Circus Lights. That was the possible last single, wasn't it? Yes. But it didn't make it as a single, if I remember, did no, it? No, I, I think no. we just called a halt on it by then. Yeah, and I think it was remixed to be a single. Yeah. I always thought that would have been a good single. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's really beautiful. I thought it's a powerful you know, song yeah. and much more uh, single material than Love and Regret. You yes. Me. Maybe I should have been choosing the singles. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, who was choosing the singles? I mean, was it the label? Was it the band? The label was yeah. uh, our, our, our man Gordon Charlton, yeah. who worked very closely with us, yeah. had a big C in it, but really you were You have to run forced. it by the band, of course. Yeah, yeah. we're never forced I to think with that album, it was so obvious, you know, yeah. the, the yeah. ones that were coming. Um, but yes, it would have been much better than Love and Regret. And that's, I think that's the most self-loathing song there is that I've ever come I think that was written, that was actually written during Rain Town. That was right. a weird thing. Okay. And it was written just up the road from where we are now uh-huh. at Air Studios. Mm. Um, at that time, Air Studios was at, uh, was at Oxford Circus. So, so the circus lights were the Oxford mm. Circus lights. And it was Christmas time. And I'd gone through the lovely piano that we were using. And the guys yeah. were overdubbing things elsewhere. Yeah. And I was just mucking about in the piano. And I'd written this thing. And I thought, oh, that's quite good. And I knew time, none of us had any sort of recording material that worked, you know, that, that we could carry around with us. And John Kelly had this magical thing called the Walkman that had a record yeah. button on it, oh, a cassette. Wow, wow. And he said, oh, you can, can I borrow that from you? He said, yeah. I said, thanks, sir. I'll take that cassette. That's okay. great. And he said, well, do you want to record it properly? I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, I'll just put a couple of mics up and you can record yeah, it. Yeah. You know, this was like luxury to me, you know, yeah. beautiful piano. And so he recorded me doing the piano vocal of it. And that eventually came out as a, a B-side or something like that later uh-huh. on. And... After that, we took the song. I took the song back in rehearsal and said, "Look, I think this could be much more like Rain Town or something like that. Mm. Much more yeah. up, up song. So it has these kind of two possible versions. Yeah. But it really, in some ways, it's quite a miserable song. You know, it's. Like, I it, thought it was quite Christmassy actually. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's in the musically. I think lyrically, there's. Well, that was the, definitely the setting. Wasn't it? Yeah. it was Christmas time, Oxford Circus. Yeah, and yeah. it had all that kind of lovely Christmas beauty going on, but. As yeah, you see. and the lights and the title yeah, as well. There's yeah. other stuff going on yeah. underneath it. I think it was. But sadness is quite Christmassy as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> indeed. <laughs> That's a great one, and not a single. So, but but should have been. I remember feeling quite disappointed when they said not. I think that's all the singles. So I was going, oh, <laughs> that's it. It's, 
yeah, if I felt like great, you know, yeah. you just bring out single after single. And that, if only we could go back to yeah. those days. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when, you, when you're on a kind of golden run yeah. and you're getting played on the radio, you, you, you want to keep just yeah. talking. You don't want to talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know what we were thinking, but we thought we knew best. <laughs> we were, you know, but we were 21 and, yeah. you know, 21 to 24. So, you know, that's know. when you do know best, right? That's <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, we would say no to singles. I remember we, we were asked to do a single in America and we had the video and everything kind of like, you know, there was a script for a video and everything yeah. like that. And Julian Temple was going to do it. <laughs> and it was like, it was just, I was talking to him on the phone and we kind of pulled it. And, and it was like, and the, and the label in America were like going, it's not going to be good, you know. It's like, we don't, we don't care. Yeah, you know, okay, we, don't. We, know so better, we know best. You didn't want to release that particular song? I think or? it was just that because it was different, you know, and that, that's what I was kind of like... Um, thinking about this morning about the amount of singles that you did you know mm. uh, uh, from two albums and yeah. I think we did three singles from two albums yeah um, so it's kind of like oh listen we got listen you can we could talk all day about us being up our <laughs> or particularly me I mean if you I mean the decisions I made I, I remember when we did our fourth album so we're not going to do Top of the Pops Oh yeah, we didn't. Do, we didn't. Do, we didn't do that one. either. Because Did you not do we, that no, we didn't. With the only one I know, we were playing in Bristol, and and we just said we couldn't make it. Yeah. Well, we we brought out a single and said we're not going to do any TV Promotion. on the single, yeah. and it became our biggest. It became number wow. two. Well, oh yeah, when we did the background. Well, we did the yeah. Never after, Fall in yeah. Love Again, yeah. and yeah. we had a, a, a video, and we said we're not going to be in the video, and we're not going to do any TV. We should have done that more often. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, one of my favourite bands, New Order, were never in any of their videos, and they seem to be all right. No, yeah. no. But I, I mean, I'm, I think what I'm trying to say now, and I'm just going to say it anyway, is that I wish that we would have had nine singles from two albums. <laughs> 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 I know. Uh, me too. Me too. These days, Here's Circus Lights on Tim's Listening Party. This Changing Light is the next song. Oh, yeah. Track six. Well, this is probably the only track that, that really was a band track, you know, okay. and I think it was... Like a jam or...? Yeah, yeah well, yeah. it's sort of like yeah. a rehearsal yeah, thing rehearsal, that had come yeah. out, and, right. it, and it sort of... And it, it definitely emerged in a... I can remember it was down that studio... Was, for some reason, I think it was near the Volcano Club in Glasgow. There was some studio down there we were working at. I can't remember why. Really? And we are working on this thing, and I remember thinking, oh, that's kind of not like us but Jim was again leading yeah and he would he would be good at just was it a dark dingy windowless so basically that was that bit of the story and the other bit was the story that I was kind of interested in at the time was there'd been a whole lot of guys in the 30s that had gone from Glasgow to Spain to, to, to fight in the, the civil war yeah and there's, there's a, a little statue. there's a beautiful statue of them in, in Glasgow and uh -huh. one then one time I think we were going over to Spain to do something. Maybe, maybe, maybe the first gigs that we were going over to do f on the first album, and and I was thinking about that. Yeah and, yeah. and so the song sort of became about about part of their story, and just about the times. It was just really about these. You know, it was really weird. But we were 
this is 1989 the record came yeah, out yeah and Margaret Thatcher had come into power in 1979 so we'd been through 10 years of yeah. that and we thought that again when you're young you just think that's, that's ridiculously a long yeah, for yeah, 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 any yeah. government to be in yeah. power now of course you've got a government here that had been 13 years yeah. before that Labour government had been along I mean 11 12 years whatever it was and in Scotland, you've got government that's been about 15 years. So, yeah, you, yeah. you know, it's not unusual to, to have that. But, of course, it seemed like yeah. a terrible... And it was a terrible time. Yeah, I actually hated that time yeah. in terms of government and, I think, what was visited on Scotland at that time. So it became a very political song. Yeah. And we did it a lot live. And that countdown from 1979, 1980, yeah. people kind of really related to that. Yeah. Yeah. They were yeah. counting yeah. off yeah. the years, yeah. you know. Hard and of course, it, it was only a year away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a it long was, song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Remember doing it in Spain? Also, it did. Yes. Did we not? I, was it one you time? Did I think it in Spanish. I think we did a bit in Spanish yeah. as well. Yeah. 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 Wow. That translation. Yeah. yeah. Don't know how successful that came across. But <laughs> I'm sure it came across. We tried. Well, people love that, don't they? Yeah, they, they, they people love it when you make, 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 make the and Spain was a huge place for us at yeah. that time. We had a massive and um, certainly massive audience and uh, some some huge gigs that we did a, a, around that time as well. And you think? Do you think the song contributed to that, or, or, or was I, it just something I as well? Know, as? No, actually, what happened was real gone. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, what happened was real gone. Kid came yeah. out there yeah. with dignity live as a B side. Don't ask me what happens in Spanish nightclubs. Don't ask me what happens in any nightclub. I don't know what <laughs> But people started playing Dignity Live right. as a club song and, and people kind of joined in. I don't know yeah. why. Yeah. Wow. But I don't know. But yeah. Dignity is a great song as well. Well, yeah. it, I know it's not this album. It's been, been a good friend to us. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, let's press play on This Changing Light by Deacon Blue. So next song is Sad Loved Girl. I mean, did you ever think that it was going to be like, it doesn't seem like it, that it was going to be a difficult second album? No, I think people always said that to yeah. you. Know, the, the, the second album's going to be, I think it was a difficult second album right, in okay. a lot of ways because we'd had all the thing of being thrilled doing your first album and it's yeah. just, you just don't think about things. Yeah. And I think with the second album, you think about everything because you've, do, you've yeah. gone through it and then you have expectations about where you record and the you know, first time, First album is you're going to record in the studio. You'll create a studio. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. Second album you go. Oh, I want catering. You know what I'm <laughs> <laughs> and we want to yeah. do this and that. And actually, what happened was we went. Out, I had this mad idea. again. All the bad ideas are in Deacon Blue. You can point towards me. <laughs> I thought we should record with three different producers. Right. And I thought we should do some with Warren, who started with Real Good. Yeah. We should do some with John Kelly, who did our first album and we should do some with this guy David Kahn yeah. who I hadn't by this point had not spent six hours re-vocaling a song with and we went out <laughs> to Los Angeles to record four or five songs Okay, one of which was this call song called Sad Love Girl Yeah, and it just became very pop and we just didn't I didn't relate to him and I don't know what the guys thought it's but not it's not I mean I suppose it, it just, could work for some but yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it just no, no, felt no. like a really we had a great time listen don't get yeah, me wrong oh, yeah. time in LA but there didn't yeah. seem to be a mutual respect now yeah. so I thought why do you want to work with yeah. us you don't seem to like so the, the song the song <laughs> that would have been was going to be this song 
Sad Love Girl, yeah. sort of got lost, really. And when we went back with Warren, one night we got the lovely piano in the hook end where we were recording. Hook oh, I've, I've recorded hook end. Yeah, yeah. Which is now a bit of a, it's kind of a ghost house, really. And yeah. It's a sad story. And I think Ewan played bass and Jim played piano, and we recorded a long version for it. Mm-hmm. But we didn't have room for that on the album. Yeah, so this is like one minute 11. So this is the little yeah. teaser. Yeah, yeah. Where, where was the studio in Los Angeles? It was Sunset Sound. Was it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. wow. And I always remember that <laughs> there was one day when there was this <laughs> almighty noise coming from the studio across. It was like... <clears throat> and I was like, what's going on there? And someone was mixing a Tom Waits live I knew album. Wow, 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 wow. I was, I was, I was fascinated. I thought, oh, that sounds amazing. What a place to be. I know. Yeah. We didn't really fully take it in because Sunset... Again, probably because the internet didn't exist at that time. You, the first thing you do now is go, what, what albums yeah. have been done here? Yeah. And analysed yeah, afterwards yeah. all the things that have been I done. Remember, is that the one Stevie Nicks? We were out playing basketball and Stevie Nicks walked across Did the she? basketball wow. court. Yeah. Yeah. So threw the ball back at us. Yeah. Oh, that's something. The engineer that worked with a really great engineer, David Leonard. He's a really great engineer. Oh, wow. He, he, right. he recorded that beautiful album, KD Lang's Hymns from the 49th Oh, oh wow. One Amazing. of my favourite albums yeah. ever. It's our, yeah. I think our, probably collectively our favourite yeah. album of all time. Wow. Beautiful sounding record, and he's a really great engineer. Oh, yeah, I can see He'd worked with Stevie Nicks. Yeah. And she'd come in one day, it must have been around that yeah. time, and she'd come in one day with this <laughs> Prince song and a cassette. Yeah. And was singing over it, and she goes, I want to do this. And he goes, Hold on a second, Stevie, you can't. <laughs> he's telling us this story in the studio. He goes, You can't do that. That's like a song. <laughs> and so he said to her, You can't do that. <laughs> uh, that's, and, and he said, But I know, because he worked with Prince a lot. Because uh-huh. Sunset's a c- cluster of studios. I think yeah. he was in the other studio or something. And he said, I'll, I'll speak to him. And he spoke to him. And, he, and Prince just uh, came in and started programming stuff and playing a lot of stuff and on, on the theme of the song that she was trying to rip. And, uh, and then she sang over, and, and and she said to him, like, we need to sort this out, sort of, you know. And he said, no, you can have it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you think that's Prince, you know, it's like yeah. five minutes, you know, mm. have it. That's what Susanna Hoff's about, Manic Monday, because, you know, he wrote that. Oh, yeah. He wrote that for them, and I think she just, like, nipped over and he'd made a demo. I think it was in Sunset Sound. Did he uh, never record I don't think he did, no. No, that's... that's yeah. I, mean, I know he'd I, written that. I know, yeah. you can just do that in a sleep, can't yeah, you? Yeah, I know, yeah. 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 That's an amazing story. Now let's say track number seven, Sad Love Girl. Laugh is strong and right and scared. She was the sad loved girl of the neighborhood. And he was the man that put happy over good. And she was the sad loved girl of the neighborhood. That was Sad Loved Girl. The next song, track A, is another single, uh, Fergus Sings the Blues. And this does have a kind of bit of a story to it because, again, it's one of Jim's, really great. We did a gig in 88 over in Dublin uh-huh. and we were invited. We hadn't hardly done anything in Ireland and we got invited to do a big stadium show with the Hot House Flowers yeah, at the time who were great. really taken off. Yeah, and yeah, in yeah. Ireland at the time, the Hot House Flowers were like... the loads of young kids loved it yeah, the kind of busking band yeah, that, that had gone huge so they were playing this big stadium show and we were supporting them and so immediately actually after that we, we inherited that audience which was oh, for a fantastic. while became quite a Annoying. teenage teenage audience <laughs> yeah 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 but Jim and the rest of us were all watching the show and Jim came back from that and said you know 
I'm going to write a song like that. <laughs> That's got wow. quite a groove like that. Wow. That's really good. And I don't know which one it was, but he just came back and he came in with this. Maybe don't go or something. Yeah, it might have been, it might have been that one. And he sort of said, came in with this whole thing, and to my shame. I didn't know what to do with it. I wrote a terrible lyric, which is, fortunately, will never, you know, it's been buried six <laughs> Um And it kind of killed it dead and wasn't sure about the song at all. And then eventually came up with the idea, which again is a second-hand idea. Michael Mara, who's a real hero, came from Dundee, a singer-songwriter, yeah. wrote this great song called Gales Blue about a soul singer that came down from the Highlands. And I okay. just thought it was such a great idea yeah. that I wanted, you know, the same, same idea. And yeah. it's the song that you always want to have in your back pocket because if any gig of Deacon Blues is not going in the right direction and I've picked the, the bad set list um, <laughs> it's the one that will get you out of a hole you know it's like yeah. it, it kind of cheers everyone up yeah do you ever bring it forward if it's like yes. oh yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you know I've always <laughs> I can't imagine listening to Fergus Sings the Blues at home or you know in your headphones but live yeah I get it and I think some songs are kind of written for live I agree with that eating, you know yeah. and I, mean, I I can't imagine ever listening to that song at home but when it happens live it's something it unites the audience <laughs> with us and it's a really joyful experience so I get it in that circumstance you know like when you're sequencing the record do you have like quite a big say in that I mean yeah I, th oh, I think yeah. it's one of the biggest things oh, I was you're obsessed, I mean, I'm sure I'm you are. I'm obsessed with running orders <laughs> live and I'm obsessed with running orders and records. Yeah. And funnily enough, Bob Claremont, who was mixing the record, we were talking about this at the time. Obviously, nowadays, you can sequence things in seconds because you can just put it on your iTunes and yeah. move yeah. around. Yeah. Then you had to put everything on tape yeah. and you had to cut the tape. And So if you, if you yeah. sequence an album and it wasn't right... <laughs> go back again and everyone yeah. on the quarter inch tape or whatever yeah. and then on the cassette and then you'd live with it and yeah. come back yeah. and I was talking to Bob Clearman about it at the time and uh, he's saying yeah I remember David Bowie just phoning him up and saying uh, can you sequence <laughs> sequence this record <laughs> really? I think it was Let's Dance or something like that right. and I said I can't imagine ever handing over oh. But maybe sometimes it's better that someone else does it. You know? Yeah. yeah. Whatever happened to David Bowie? Yeah, exactly. Never heard of him again. <laughs> I mean, I've tried handing it over. Yeah, I'm going to brag that Come I gave on. it to Johnny Marr to uh, sequence, oh, nice uh, sequence for us. And he told me this amazing story about you two giving Joshua Tree to Kirsty McCall to do, to do the sequencing. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, well, she was married to Steve Lillywhite. Yeah, she was married to Steve Lillywhite, who produced the album uh, at the time, and I think that was like one of the best stories that I'd ever heard, wow. is that she sequenced it, came back, and they all liked it. They said, how, how did you do it? And she said, easy, I just chose my favourite first, yeah. my second favourite second. Is that right? And uh, my least favourite last. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I thought that was a uh, pretty interesting well, way, but... Yeah. That's true. Well, yeah. I, with, the, with this one, the sequencing was... was was very much like let's start up, you know. Let, let's not let's not do what in rain time. It was it was single I mean, singles, like four it? singles yeah. in a row. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of let's like, leave them in no doubt <laughs> in your face. I would say this. Yes, of, yeah. yeah. And Fergus was in the second side because yeah. I had my doubts about it. That's a funny thing. Oh, about really? It. Right. So I thought the first five singles. I thought Circus Lights would be the fifth single. Yeah, and yeah. Fergus was over my dead body because I didn't love it at the time. Wow. And I sort of did it. You know, reluctantly. Uh -huh. um, in fact, I think I tried to coax Gary Clark into doing it as a duet. Really? Wow. Yeah, at one point. You know, from Danny Wilson. From Danny Wilson. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah, there yeah, was a whole lot of discussion about that. I think I just tried. I don't know. I just tried. The song had never really kind of, you know. So you're set. trying to sort of like separate yeah, yourself yeah. from it a little bit. And did it do well? 
Fergie did really well. It should have been. A, yeah, it was probably the second biggest hit on the record. Yeah, and it. Yeah. played a load yeah. on the radio and probably a lot the song that people wanted. When songs. I said that I was interviewing you today, yeah. um, you know, it was half and half. Really, yeah. Fergie sings the blues and and Real Gone Kid. Yeah. You know, but, yeah. But, yeah. And, and I love yeah. it. Yeah, it's really connected with people, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you yeah. put stuff out there, don't you? And you yeah. don't know yeah. how it's going to land. Yeah. Here it is. Fergus sings the blues on Tim's listening party. Classic there, Fergus sings the blues on Absolute Radio. So you're a big country fan, aren't you? I am a big country fan. I'm not really kind of in a in a roundabout kind of way. Um, I grew up with Graham Parsons was probably the person that I really, you know, I mean, my lots of my generation yeah. really discovered country music because they loved the birds and yeah. the flying burrito brothers. And I, it was really Graham Parsons, and I heard a song uh, him him and Emmy Lou doing. Love Hurts, I yeah. think on the radio one day wow. in the seventies. Wow, wow. What is that? You know, yeah, like, yeah, and I knew who Emily Harris was, and and it's so, so you work backwards, and then I kind of got into Willie Nelson and all these yeah. kind of things, but I didn't really. It was just that sort of love of country. I didn't really have a great deep knowledge of it. And then one day I, I started to do a radio show yeah. without any focus. At least your radio show's got a title. <laughs> they called mine American Tunes. This is like in two thousand and seven. And we did a sort of series. It was so vague. It was like American music. Yeah. And when I came back, they said, "Oh, they've, re- they've, they've recommissioned the show." And I went, "Really?" Because like, what on earth was that? Yeah. And a new producer, and he said, "Well, they're going to make it a country show. Yeah. Do you know anything about country music?" I said, "No." I said, "Do you?" He said, "No." <laughs> and we sort of started from there. And really, wow. so you, know, you, we, you you discovered it from we the, both yeah, discovered yeah, it together. Yeah, 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 and yeah, it was like, much. And we tried to be honest about that. Yeah, so yeah. look, we're 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 falling in love with it. Yeah, the good stuff. Yeah, hopefully, playing the stuff that we like. Yeah, but we're also learning as we go along. So it's been yeah, quite come nice. with us. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And who who, who are your favourite? Sort of stars these days. I well, mean, these, Graham. I could talk about. Well, Graham we're all day, just talking about someone actually who's who's fun enough. Jason Isbell. We're talking about the kind of people you've got to know. Jason Isbell, and uh-huh. uh, is just a beautiful songwriter oh, wow. and a really oh, interesting guy. Yeah. Um, and, and 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 but there's so many and so many great. You know, Lainey Wilson, who's a currently a, she is actually a mainstream. Uh, country artist uh-huh. uh, but I think she's brilliant I think she's wow. doing brilliant stuff so there's so many great they're really talented yeah. uh, artists and some great musicians and great yeah. oh yeah we, 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 Lena and I both went to see the Chicks oh. a few months ago yeah. and it was, it was a great gig absolutely where did they play they played the hydro oh nice nice that's a good place they were fantastic and then there's there's mainstream things there's really I mean I I love a lot of really alternative stuff you know Todd Snyder and all these kind of people as well and um, you know people that are slightly you know the bank of phosphorescent are kind of slightly off you yeah. know, left field and they sound like they should be from Manchester <laughs> yeah exactly there's lots of yeah, yeah. yeah and, and there's, there's different things there's different things have you but, ever heard of um, Lamb Chop? I have, and Lamb Chop were huge over in the UK. Yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and had a you know, massive following over yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I always found Lamb Chop a little bit samey. You know, it just always felt like here's a major chord, a um, uh, major seventh, and here's another one. You mm-hmm. know, if, but but yes, nice stuff. I recorded um, I recorded an album in Nashville. 
and it Did was you yeah, it was a beautiful experience, and and um, so and you know, I, I had the songs and. Um, and I did the backing tracks in two and a half days yes. for the whole album. Yeah. Because this is a solo record. Yeah. A, a, solo, a solo record, yeah. It's yeah. called uh, Oh No, I Love You is the name of the record. Oh, yeah. And where, which studio did you... I recorded it at Beach House Studios, which know, was... Yeah. Um, um, Mark Nevers was the producer. Right. And, uh, you know, he, he'd done some Lamb Chop records and, and uh, you know, worked work with a... You know, a, a whole a whole lot of Nashville artists, and he, he actually asked me before um, before I came, do I want to work? Do you want um, like um, a budget uh, Nashville band mid range or you know top, <laughs> top of the range? I said, well, I'll go for mid because that you know that yeah. was my, that was my budget. And uh, we cut the backing tracks in like two and a half days, yeah. and they, they, you know I'd sent the demos out, they'd learned parts and oh, and some flourishes as well, and and um, and they just like you know the whole thing took two to- weeks. This was um, two thousand and twelve. It came out. Um, but yeah, the whole album was recorded in in, in two weeks. But the backing tracks, yeah. two and a half days. It's a fascinating it's scene because it's so people think of it as a country town. But there's and they, also they get jazz. paid on the on the on the half day as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's lovely. But yeah. there's also <laughs> there are sort of I mean, all the Kings of Leon come out of there. There's there's so many different things that come out of there. People probably don't even know about. Yeah, it. but the um, level of musicianship. Oh. I mean, we did the same thing in LA in 2012. Ricky and I made a kind of 2009. Sc- 2009, 2009. Macintosh Ross album which was songs mm. co-written and we wanted to record and we went to LA and we <sighs> recorded it in a week yeah. with these guys we'd never met we yeah. took one musician with us our friend Davy Scott and musicians yeah. we'd never met who just were Brilliant. It's so it's so inspiring so inspiring and it's great because with session musicians you don't give you any snash back you know you just yeah. go just play that for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they do, and they do yeah, it really yeah, well. Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah. Whereas your own band, they go, Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah, I know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure they say the same about me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Exactly. Up next is The World is Lit by Lightning. Ricky, what can you tell me about it? That was a song that I thought, again, it was a kind of Jim and I co-write, and I, that was the one that I think we all thought was really going to be big. Yeah. And we recorded that in Real Going Kid as yeah. a sort of tester to work with Warren yeah. as a producer. Uh-huh. And um, I always remember, I went in with, these. you did these things with your A&R guy, and we're going for a meeting with the big boss at CBS at the time, big, yeah. you know, big office. And, yeah. and, you know, the band are doing well. <laughs> they've got a second album coming. And uh, and he said to him, uh, they've got, they've got a, t- a guaranteed top 10 single yeah. um, and they've recorded another track and I went out of the office and said oh wh- which song were you talking about yeah. he said you daft he said uh, real gone kid that's the one I said oh I, I, I thought maybe it was the world was lit by light yeah, yeah. but because I, I, I'm just not good at these and I wasn't good at these things yeah. um, I probably still am I'm not but that was recorded really early on and I think it was pretty central to that record I mean I think that was it seemed more central to us than to the audience. I think Paul Russell actually eventually asked us to take it off the CD. It was too long. I was oh. furious. It is. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. kind of complicated. And yeah. Lots of parts to it. And it yeah. Probably do it's with too long. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's in the perfect position on the album for, you know, in the, the sequence, I feel. My favourite bit is when it takes off the keyboard riff at the end when it's, I always love when you can dance to a song. And, yeah, and yeah. And you can don't do a lot of dance songs. Yeah. And when occasionally bits come into songs that you that make you feel like dancing and that bit I love that yeah, bit yeah. and I still love that bit yeah. that bit should have been in it more yeah it should have been in it more we'll go back and fix that yeah. <laughs> let's hear the world is lit by lightning
so next up is Silhouette. Oh, this was one of the songs that ended up from the Los Angeles session. Um, Fantastic. David Kahn. David Kahn session, the one yeah. song that they ended up. And Survived, yeah. I love this song so much. I, I really, I always love the the kind of just the kind of simplicity of it, and it, this that that cool wee guitar riff, yeah. and and Jim's keyboard thing, and we'd record it out there. That tape wasn't very good, and we give it to Bob Clearmountain. Right. And when we came in in the morning, or it was a, such a frantic record that at the end of Christmas we hadn't finished all the vocals for, yeah. which I hated doing. I, I, that was one of the reasons I didn't enjoy the album. He would do the vocals last, and I always think that. You should do the vocals with the with songs, it. Yeah. and it, it just felt wrong. So you're piling all these vocals up to be done. So in the morning, Lorena would get picked up with Warren, go up to Mayfair Studios, finish a vocal, take the reel down, and hand it, it to Bob, deadly, really. who was down at CBS Studios in Whitfield Street, and then he would mix, you know, songs. So it was, so we weren't, you know, we're rushing it. Yeah to get it out I think anyway this day we'd given him a tape of the stuff that we'd done in Los Angeles not knowing what I said look this is a song that we kind of got rejected and I always remember when Graham our guitarist came in we're doing playback and went yeah. wow and yeah. I didn't expect that because it was Bob had he'd reversed something on the yeah, I can't believe did yeah and he just he just mixed yeah. it in such a cool way that we went oh that's brilliant that's lovely wow. and that was a kind of real surprise um, package that, that we didn't didn't expect. Do you want to talk about Graham? Yeah, I mean, Graham was... I mean, Lorraine was talking about Graham recently and... Uh -huh. I was know, just listening yeah. to, on this um, bonus album that we're bringing out, of acoustic versions yeah. of our songs, and there are a couple of covers on there, but it's mainly... But there's also old songs that we haven't played in 30 years, and for some reason, I said, Did I get, so we're going to do them in, on this coming tour, and I said, I can't believe we didn't, haven't played these songs. Why have we not played them? So uh, Ricky made a playlist up for us all to listen in the car and I was listening and I came in and I said, you know, I was never great at listening. I was always into people's voices yeah. and instruments were just there for me to just support voices. You know, I was never interested in really in who was a great guitarist or whatever. But listening to these old Deacon Blues songs from the very early days, I came in and I said, I feel like for the first time I really got that he brought something so imaginative and original and energetic and youthful that we'll just never capture again because we don't have these things anymore. We're not youthful. We're probably not energetic. And hearing Graham like that, isolated in that period of time 30 years ago, I realised... What a, what a gift he was, yeah. really, you know. He, he, he loved the groove, you know, and he loved playing. Oh, yeah. And it was original, though, what he did. There used to be a thing that people said that all Glasgow bands uh, wanted to be either the Velvet Underground or Chic, you uh -huh. know, that, that, and, and, and it's true. And Graham wanted to be Chic, you know. He yeah. Wanted, he, wanted, he wanted to be Nile Rogers, and, and he always brought that kind of rhythm to, to, to everything he did. But he always did it in a kind of cool and original way. And, yeah, he's a big part of, huge part of this record, yeah. Fantastic. So beautiful. This is track number 10 on When the World Knows Your Name. It's Silhouette. The whole time behind him, yeah. Love and whisper, chanted to her. She heard the whole world shining and screaming. Next is 100 Things. 
I think it was probably a bigger song for me than anyone else. It right. was one of these songs that <laughs> I kind of wrote it almost as a letter to a friend that we met. We we, we met this pal Jimmy Rice. He was great. It was about Jimmy and Martin and a few other guys. It was a time that we they were our audience. Yeah. We'd play in, in Manchester. We'd play in Manchester and <laughs> Polytechnics and Macclesfield yeah, yeah, yeah. and oh, oh, places yeah. like that. And literally, there'd be <laughs> a cigarette machine and a you know like a, a jukebox and. And you were fighting for attention, really, you know, yeah. between between them. And Jimmy and Martin would always come along, and they were the guys that all started singing along. They were the first, our pals. <laughs> so they became pals. <laughs> so I wrote this as a sort of an imaginary kind of, you know, almost like as if I'm writing it to Jimmy, you know. Tired. I'm tired, Jimmy, you know, yeah. and all that kind of thing. So I think that's why it became a more important song to me than it, than it did to anyone else. Yeah. And I think probably everyone would have gladly chunked it. But... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I kind of like it being there in some ways. Yeah, but, but the, is that that's that's kind of what records are. Aren't that's they? what Isn't records it? are. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, everything you know, everything makes up everything, and things shine more, and yeah. things mean more to. You've got to clap the bad acts as well. So <laughs> <laughs> as but they're just, just mo- they're moments, so aren't they? Kind of like you know, you just yeah, like you, you you listen to it all, and then you just like you know, you just yeah. you get to there from there and. Yes, and and yeah, it's it's funny. But ten years ago, we were asked to do Radio Two in concert thing, uh-huh. and for some reason, they wanted us to do this whole album as a piece. So we started learning, and that was one of the songs we had to kind of. And Gregor, who'd never played these songs, <laughs> yeah. was playing them and learning them all. And then about a few days before the game, oh, no, actually, we don't want to play the whole album. You <laughs> 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 can you can play some old songs. Thanks a lot, because we'd never played it for years. I had to learn it, but we've. I don't think we've played that song. No. In a long, long time. So, so it's a, it's off, it's off its time. And now it's kind of edited out a little bit, yeah, maybe. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I think things find their natural place, don't they? And, the bin. And, yeah. yeah but I, <laughs> God, I mean, you know, every every band has, you know, stuff yeah. that's edited out, don't they? A little exactly. bit. You know. Yeah. I think always, I always felt the greatest quite, hits package. <laughs> yes, I always felt yep. quite happy with stuff that was on albums, but because I think the albums. And, and I always felt like, but don't ask me about B-sides because there, were, there, were, there was such a demand to put out stuff that yeah. was yeah. filling up singles that yeah. B-sides really were things that you had rejected but yeah, a hundred things I think it was important for me lyrically more than anything else I remember, I think it was around about 1999 Shelton's put out um, a 7-inch with a B-side and then a CD1 with like two or three mm. extra tracks and then, and then a CD2 yes. that had another three yeah. extra tracks so it's almost like we're doing two albums, you yeah. know. Uh, Where are really, you meant to get yeah. the time to go and, uh, and record all this stuff? I know, and... I know. Fortunately, these, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of glad these days have gone. But it, it was kind of also probably people got to hear another side of you, and 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 and, and yeah. So f- for a songwriter, it was quite creative. You know, you, you had all these, yeah. you could get them out in some kind of way, which yeah. was, was interesting. But yeah, I'm not sure quality always won the day. No, no, we were definitely writing uh, drunkenly at that point as well. <laughs> and so, so I think there was one song that was recorded in a hotel room, uh, and uh, I was doing the vocals in the toilet. And uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, enough of that. You're listening to Sims Listening Party, and this is 100 Things on Absolute Radio. Maybe I'm the heart of things There'll be clowns We'll be kings Downtown Rick and 
100 Things by Deacon Blue on Absolute Radio. We're at the penultimate track of When the World Knows Your Name and this listening party is called Your Constant Heart. A beautiful title. Yeah, this is a song that we actually end up doing a lot uh, live towards the end of that album cycle and we, we, we would open the show with it because yeah. is that Mark Feltman, the harmonica player came in, he came in to play harmonica on the start of that and it's right. really really cool and he yeah. showed me because I played a bit of harmonica you know so just you know like because yeah. you needed to, if you did a bit yeah. of what we call the Muthi, uh live and I always remember him sort of showing me what is it you, you know how you do it you know what, how you pick the key to, to to work against the song you're playing on and Mark played this brilliant blues harp part on it and your constant heart. I think what happened actually was I seem to remember picking up. A, I bought a guitar at the time. Yeah. Hadn't, didn't own a guitar, and I could only play an E. <laughs> <laughs> I could only play open E chords, and I think that song was mainly written on guitar. And it was it was so I used to play Must guitar. Must have been but, easy because I used to play it live yeah. on guitar. Yes, it was easy. You did. That's yeah. right. So is the harmonica two up or two down? It's on the. Th- it's. I think you play it if, if it if it's in if it's in E you play an A harp or a, something. Yeah, yeah. And if it's in right, C yeah. you play an F harp or something yeah, like that. Yeah, so you play yeah. against the, yeah. the the kind of dominant key and, and it's and it gives you like the blue notes you know that yeah. they're obviously you're looking for. Yeah. yeah. And and then he would play it through a bullet mic and a little amp and all that nice, kind of thing and it sounded, nice. you know, it sounded great. And credit to Warren Livesey, I think that he did a really nice production thing on it. Suggested that little keyboard pattern that was going through it as well and I think Warren I think actually Warren played that I can't, for, I can't remember but I certainly remember Warren really taking to that song and making it yeah. something I mean it's not a single but it was a really big album track that we've still done I think we still do yeah, we have. I'm not sure we're doing it now but we certainly have done mm-hmm. it we have yeah. and you did play guitar I did yeah <laughs> let's hear the penultimate track on the album Your Constant Heart Constant Heart from Deacon Blues, When the World Knows Your Name. Sadly, we're coming to the end of the show, which means we're coming to the end of the album. My favourite song is the last track. Mine too. Orphans. I want to know more about that, please. (laughs) This started, and Doogie will tell you this, from Silhouette. We were doing the demo of Silhouette, and the drum machine was running on, and we were in a little demo studio at Savar. It's actually in the same tempo as Silhouette. The drum machine was running on, and you'd gone home, and we were working late, and you and started playing this bass riff. And I thought, that's brilliant. Let's, yeah, let's yeah, 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 yeah. And because you and would play very melodic bass lines, and I think it was just you and the drum part, and I don't know who else was there. Graham was probably there. Maybe, but certainly he and I just carried on working. Yeah. And that night we'd recorded the demo. Yeah. And. I remember coming back and playing the cassette just oh this thing happened in the studio and you, you absolutely loved it yeah. and I want to sing at the end of that mm-hmm. and I think that demo became the master I think we ever we never we never, we never recut I think maybe what happened was that then Doogie overdubbed some real drums yeah uh, that yeah. lovely low drum yeah yeah um, but the pad keyboard pad and all that I think I did that and I'd been on this train uh, from London a couple of years before and it always struck me it was great 
and I was wanting to make these songs about Scotland. So Fergus sings the blues, Queen of the New Year, and this one. There were sort of these songs of really that were kind of about where Scotland was. It yeah, kind of yeah, almost yeah. like anyway. And um, I just thought everyone's always talking about having a Scottish national anthem. I thought this would be quite funny if this one was. <laughs> and uh, I come out on a train from London the day after a Scotland England football game, and I thought it's safe because all the kind of nut nuts guys, the kind of really loud yeah. guys yeah. will have gone home but there was one guy <laughs> there was one guy left <laughs> one guy and he was standing he was like he was like almost like a cartoon version of a Scottish football supporter he had the kilt and the cans of lager and all this yeah. and everyone was going you're Scottish or English you know he was doing this all day. <laughs> yeah. oh, no, don't be that guy and at one point there was a bunch of kids up the back who were kind of giving him banter back and they yeah. were singing back and where are you from where are you from yeah. we're from Kilmarnock what are you where are you Kilmarnock we're, we're from such and such a children's home what are you orphans imagine, imagine. <laughs> and then, and then, you know you're just sitting there saying oh no you know no, no. so so they became a kind of symbol yeah it sort of became yeah. a little I thought oh gosh that's quite an interesting sort of metaphor for, for us you know for us as a as a place and a, a name so yeah I, I think it's my favourite song yeah, it's and, and it's a song that we still do yeah, and Lewis yeah, it's who's like very fun. hard for any bass player to come along and play yeah, but, but he managed. does it he does it beautifully yeah I remember saying to him we played the hydro for the first time I said I want to do Orphans tonight and I said you okay about that and he said yeah he's <laughs> because he's young yeah. and he's really yeah, good yeah, yeah. And, uh, but yeah it's a song that we would definitely do still yeah and it still feels totally relevant yeah. lyrically and emotionally yeah. and everything else yeah I now describe my country as if to strangers. And it, uh, Lorraine and I had gone out in that summer. We were in America for the first time properly. Yeah, in fact, we were both there for the first, almost for the first time, and certainly on the West Coast. And I remember trying to explain <laughs> British politics to these Americans. <laughs> so, wait a minute. So, Mrs. Thatcher, she's Labour. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it started, I remember. Oh, my God. Yeah, and it was like, no. I think it's um, interesting that you said that you know it started out as the demo and you kind of mm. like just kept adding to that. Mm. I'm I'm always really interested in. I mean, Mark, our guitarist, always called it a demoitis. Yes. You know, yeah. um, which is kind of like you think you've cap you've captured it. You already have. So I mean, I find it hard now to ever demo. You know, yeah. I, th I yeah. think since our third album, I think we just always treated everything as a master. And yeah. yeah. That's wise. I think we we, we did too. When Deacon Blue got back together, there wasn't really a map of what we should sound like again. Yeah. Because Graham yeah. had died and. Yeah. You know, we hadn't been together as a band, and I started doing demos in the house again. Yeah. In the home studio. And Gregor, a guitarist, he has a studio up in Dundee, and I'm uh -huh. in Glasgow. Yeah. Gregor's is much more sophisticated than mine, but we essentially use the same systems, sure. same logic system. Yeah. So we, I do demos, and I always say to the band, look, if we, can, if we can't get it, we always cut it live. Yeah. And if we get stuck, the demo's there. And you always have back. it like uh, There's a little, great quality, as yeah. you know, the best quality that you and can get. And we go back to yeah. that arrangement yeah. if, if we if we get stuck. Yeah. And and um, and that's what we do, I think. But quite often we take vocals from the demo and just use them. Yeah. yeah. Especially backing vocals. Yeah, you've done loads of work. Yeah, I'll be in the middle of making dinner or something, Ricky's like, would you come and sing some backing vocals on this? And you don't think about it yeah. because you think, oh, we'll do it properly later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you yeah, do yeah, it yeah, and yeah. you think, no, I love that. Yeah, so relaxed. Yeah, yeah, And actually, weirdly enough, since for, for a few years now, I've bought a mic that's not a really high-end, I've got a really high-end mic, yeah. but I've got this favourite SM7 that yeah. I use. 
Sure, I'm sorry. I use it for everything. I use it for like radio stuff at home. I have it up all the time. And I have it, and I can just grab the piano, grab a guitar quickly and record things. And now I always think no one ever knows. No one knows where a song started. No one knows. Yeah. So many songs people probably hear on the radio start in people's back bedrooms. And yeah. We recorded yeah. a thing with Gary Barlow over lockdown on our phones. Yeah. You know, Gary Barlow yeah. was doing all this, asking people to sing their song and he would sing it with them. Yeah. So he right. said, he wanted to do Real Gone Kids so I said how are we going to do this yeah. we recorded it on our phone yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was crazy yeah. wow I guess it's pretty good quality isn't it it but, is I mean, yeah I know it's just not like recording a phone in the in the 80s God. <laughs> no quite I didn't I, have a phone in the 80s no, no. In the 90s, I used to leave a voice message at my mum's house if I had an idea. Did I'd go you? to the phone box and then, you know. Did you? Really? Did you? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> on, the answer, on the answer machine? Yeah, leave it on the answer machine, Just yeah. hope she doesn't erase it. I know, but it, she, yeah. uh, she often did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I used to do that when I, I didn't have a dictaphone and I told people that I was doing that. To, I would phone myself and I would sing it. I was walking the dog around the park. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, I would do great. it and eventually these sort of fans came up to me and gave me a little... I, I would get them in on guest list for solo yeah, shows yeah, yeah. and they came up and gave me a gift of a, of a you know, dictaphone which was really nice oh, it's it changed fantastic. your life really yeah. it changed my life but I've given it up because the phone yeah. thing yeah. on now yes, is so yes, good yeah. it's got voice memos now hasn't it but, yeah. uh, it's, it's a shame the dictaphone was a big thing in my, in my life too yeah dictaphone ideas are great because sometimes they're just ideas of pure melody and I think that's always yeah. a great thing yeah. 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 still a great thing in, in, in songs that you know you can't get around that one you need, you need a melody you need a hook and often a lyric idea as well it's just like that's the one here's the last song on when the world knows your name it's orphans Have we got to the end now? Yeah. Oh. Lorraine, Ricky. We've so got much. to the end, but I mean, this, there must be something that you might want to add to it. Anything? You know about, what? What's I, the overall feeling now of this record? Well, to me, as a real atmosphere for us of our lives at that stage in our life, you know, yeah. the, the cover photograph was taken. It was Andy Catlin, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. The, was it NME photographer uh, or something? Well, uh, something like that. It was a Melody Maker. Melody Maker, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, he, and he, he sort of came to our house and said, we're just going to go outside. And as so often happens, things just um, happen by accident. So in that photo, He wanted to try his camera out. That's right. <laughs> and we ended up being on the hill just above right. where You'd we were. jacket on. And I was cold. And I'd put on this dress for the photo. And then I was too cold. So yeah. you gave me a jacket. So I'm wearing a, a guy's jacket <laughs> down to my knees. And yeah. And these things just is the yeah, way, you yeah, know, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. way it rolls. So, I mean, yeah. so the next day, or another time, he took a whole lot of proper ones, but that was the one we loved. It was right. kind of blurred image. And, yeah, so it, and it was a kind of time of facing up to the fact that things were going well because Raintown was just all about doing gigs all the time, remember? Yeah. And yeah. things weren't getting played on radio. And doing gigs all the time was, was really enjoyable, but it was really exhausting as yeah. well and hard work. And then suddenly... This was the the period I think for the band where it was like, this is really great fun. Yeah. You know, this is enjoyable, and you're going abroad for the first time, and, and it was a really magical yeah. experience. Make some money. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Well, happy days. Happy days. Happy days. Well, Lorraine, Ricky, thank you so much. Tim, it's been a joy. And, and you know, if we haven't said this. It's just, I think the Twitter party was just yeah. a wonderful thing. So oh, thank well, thank you. you. Thank you so thank much. You thank you so much. much. For Thanks for coming. Us. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks to Ricky Ross and Lorraine McIntosh for joining me on this episode of My Listening Party to tell me about when the world knows your name. Let me finish this episode by giving you a handful of listening recommendations to keep your ears busy. So first up is uh, The Associates and the album Affectionate Punch. And basically because his name comes up all the time when I talk to other musicians. Um, So I thought I'd share that with you or share the recommendation with you. With the late, great Billy McKenzie on vocals and the late, great Alan Rankin, on other instruments I'm going to recommend Susan the Banshee's Juju um, because uh, she's done a great tour this year and her name comes up a lot as well in the listening parties Uh, John McGeoch on guitar his name comes up a lot on the listening parties so why not Uh, Juju had the singles Arabian Nights and Spellbound and uh, and the classic Night Shift a new record by a band called Sylvie very Californian, kind of classic, you know, could actually have been recorded in the 70s or the 60s or maybe even the 80s, um, but um, it's a particularly beautiful track uh, sung by Marina Allen. Uh, the first track on the album uh, is called Falls On Me, but the whole album's just gorgeous, great on the ears. The next track I'm going to recommend is Fleeting Future by Accuse Me, and it's a real gorgeous kind of Philip Glass style uh, instrumental that I've been listening to a lot when I brush my teeth really tonight's listening party may be over but you can keep getting in touch by tweeting me using the hashtag Tim's Listening Party every song is taken from Deacon Blues When the World Knows Your Name all tracks are written by Ricky Ross with James Prime co-writing Queen of the New Year This Change in Light Fergus Sings the Blues and The World is Lit by Lightning Ewan Vernal also wrote Orphans. This album was released on Columbia in April 1989. See you next time. Absolute Radio, telling the story behind another iconic album with Tim Burgess. Get involved using the hashtag Tim's Twitter Listening Party.